particular Greek word, this particular Greek word, it's the Greek word arche, it's A-R-C-H-E, long E, arche. And when we speak of that word, when the Bible speaks of that word, we are going to go to the verse that first brings us into the eternity that not only God is, in John 17, 2 and 3, God is eternal, but also in Isaiah 57 and verse 15, he inhabits eternity. Now, so when we speak about the word arche, or arche as some would pronounce it, always speaks of the beginning, its beginnings. Well, and truthfully, what it speaks of is who God is. So, for instance, like in Hebrews 11 and verse 6, it says, without faith, without faith, without depending, right? Because we have to depend upon him. And to depend upon God, and we do so through his son that he's given us. And, and, th and thereby we have, we know him as a father and as a, as a God, and God speaks of who he, he rules. So father speaks of a affectionate, deep, intimate love for his children. This is brought out in John 20 and verse 17. And then God, one who, who rules and guides over us with the authority of that intimate love. And so for us, for us to have him, this goes back to John 1 and verse 1, where it says, in the beginning. So Christ himself, the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, is the, the eternal is. So the beginning. <laughs> oh, if we look at the Bible, if we understand the word of God, so we could say it from really, really to understand the word, we have to start in, in John, the first chapter. Then we can include uh, Genesis to Revelations. Is one whole organic, one thought of God making himself known. So for him to make himself known, what does that involve? Just think about it. So he, he is, he is, when he gave us his son and when we received him, we, he took us out of everlasting life. What is everlasting life? Everlasting life is we did have a beginning, but we will not have an end. That's why the fallacy and false teaching of the annihilationists that somehow only those that have eternal life will, ha will be in eternity and all those that don't will be done away with will be extinct. Because, of course, we know that the Greek word death, thanatos, T-H-A-N-A-T-O-S, is literally speaks of separation. Separation. So we were created in everlasting life. We had a beginning, but we'll have no end. We'll have no end. Eternal life, the life that God is, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Father gave us this, his Son. Who did he give us? He gave us his eternal Son. And that's the Greek word zoe, Z-O-E, long E, zoe, eternal life. So we have that eternal life. So we have the life that Christ is, 
Now that eternal life, again, goes back to John, the first chapter, John 1 and verse 1, where it says, in the beginning, the word. Now, when it's saying that, in the beginning, the word, who is the word? He's the eternal beginning of God. Or the arche, or the arche goes for us to know God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We had to have, and we do have, the Logos. That's L-O-G-O-S, the Word. That's who Christ is. Now, for us to function properly and to receive the eternal love, life, embrace, because that's what the word with is in that, in that first verse, in the beginning it says, really, in eternity, as best as we can see in eternity, God opening up eternity. In the beginning, the word. And the word with, again, that word with is P-R-O-S, pros, and it literally means this eternal, affectionate embrace that nothing could or has or would ever disturb that affectionate love life embrace between the Father and the Son, and obviously with the rest of the scriptures and we see it in John 14, 16, and 17, and we can see it in John 14, 26, and John 15, 26, and John 16, and verse 7, the Holy Spirit proceeds from both. So we see this eternal affectionate embrace between the Father and the Son, meaning the whole time God, who is God, Father and Son and Holy Spirit, have never left that most intimate place that most intimate place, which was the bosom. That's why, that, it's just Wendy's, that's okay, don't worry about it. So John 13, 23, in John 13 and verse 23, it says that John laid his head on Jesus' breast. Breast there is, is where we go back to that word with, that place between the Father and the Son is kopon, K-O-L-P-O-N, the place of the most intimate, affectionate, love-life exchange. So for us, we enter into and see death is an eternal separation from God who's given us his son who is our life, eternal life, in 1 John 5.11. So we, when we receive Christ, uh, we received him it does away with all wrath, and wrath is just a holy fire consuming uh, uh, nature and character and essence of God, his love, his justice, his, his integrity, uh, all of who he is in that nature, character, and essence with all those attributes, and that, that is the fire of his love. And so wrath, in John 3 and verse 26, okay, when Christ was on the cross and we received him, he bore all that wrath, that holy righteousness, indignation, and hatred towards sin. He took our place. All those that don't have him still are separated, and that wrath will be poured out. And this is where we understand where hell, that fire, that burns within him in Deuteronomy 22 and verse 32, that fire that burns within him is his love and justice 
And of course, we, his love and justice brought out in Psalm 85, 10 and 11, mercy and truth were met together, righteousness and peace could kiss. And then righteousness, God and, can look down from heaven and see truth spring out of the earth. So for us to, to enter into his presence, to come out of everlasting life, right? Because remember, again, everlasting life is we were born, each one of us, after Adam fell, is, is he is our federal head. And, and each of us were born in Psalm 51 and verse 5 with a sin nature, which was in Romans 5 and verse 12, passed on through, uh, death, uh, through that death, that nature that we all received. That's everlasting life. But everlasting life means that we had a beginning but we won't have an end. Eternal life, Zoe, is the life that Christ is, that he has been made ours in Colossians 3, verses 3 and verse 4. And that is, we had no beginning. So that brings us right back to John 1 and verse 1. That is our whole Christian life, is a constant resting in his love. So God himself rests in the son of his love in Zephaniah 3 and verse 17. And we rest in him in Colossians 1 and verse 13. We rest now where God rests in the son of his love. This goes into all and it's brought out in the material creation of God in, in Genesis chapter 1 verses 3 to 31. And then when God finished his work, he finished it and then he rested in Genesis 2, 1 and 2. And that's where we get that Hebrew word, Sabbath in English, Sabbath in the Hebrew. So we rest. And so the proper Christian life is one resting in the Son of God's love. Now, they have that in this eternal relationship. So the Son, the Son of God, was eternally begotten of the Father in John 1 and verse 18. That's that eternal love-life relationship. So John 1, verse 18, goes back to John 1 and verse 1. Now for us to experience that, he's given us eternal life. He's given us that. Now that's why in Ephesians 3 and verse 19, to know the love of Christ that passes knowledge. Okay, To know the love of Christ. So for us to experience that, He's equipped every single person. Think about that. I don't care who they are. Doesn't matter who they are, what place they have in, on this earth, whatever they are. If they have received Christ, they're considered to be faithful. They're faithful, and that speaks of positional truth. So Ephesians 1, verse 1 speaks of positional truth. Again, it's not talking, Ephesians 1 and verse 1 is not talking about conduct. Ephesians 1 verse 1 is talking about character, and that's 1 John 1, 7. Walk in the light as he is in the light. Walk in the light as he is in the light. And then what do we experience? The eternal work of God that has a continual effect of cleansing constantly. Now, here we need that in terms of confessing in 1 John 1, 9. But once we're in heaven and we're with him in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, we're with him in Revelations 2 and verse 17, we're with him face to face, there'll be no need for that. For now, we need that confession. But once, once we 
uh, with him face to face. We have that eternal love life exchange and we are constantly confessing it now. And that confession goes into Hebrews 13 and verse 15 where we offer up this eternal confession of thanksgiving. So even confess, confession in 1 John 1, 9 has to do with thanksgiving because thanksgiving goes back to that root word charis or caris, C-H-A-R-I-S, and that's grace. Everything goes back to that. You see, God's love can only flow through the grace and truth that his son is. Again, this is what brings out John chapter 1, verses 1 to 14. So all of this is saying what? What is the normal Christian life? What is our place positionally? Are we already, right now, positioned in his son? What is that place? What is To be in that place, what does it mean? It means we are resting where God himself is resting. There can be no proper fellowship without rest, without it. And that's why we have confession in 1 John 1, 9. This all has to do with our eternal life. Who are those that are, in 1 John 1, verse 9, those that confess? Who are those? Ones that have eternal life. They have the Son of God, who is the eternal love life, fulfillment of a relationship that always existed between the Father and the Son. But now when he sent him, when he sent him, first as a propitiatory, okay, as the, the place, he is the propitiation, that is the Greek word, helasmos. Then he became that place for us, and that is helisterion. And so we can see the beauty of this, God giving us his son. And when we received him, it doesn't matter. Listen, God wants us to know the simplicity of one thing right now, that our proper place in Christ is one of fellowshipping with a love life that nothing can disturb or distract. Now, sin and failure right now, as we grow in grace in 2 Peter 3 and verse 18, does interrupt fellowship. It doesn't interrupt position. It doesn't. But it interrupts fellowship so that we don't experience that love life, eternal embrace, embrace that we have. And so for now, for us, before we are there in heaven face to face, we are growing in this relationship. We are growing. We're growing in this relationship, meaning we're entering into more and more of this love life that is revealed through light. And that's why we need the scriptures. Okay, because the the law the logos in John 1 and verse 1, he is the light. He's the light. We see that in John 1 and verse 4. We see that 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 darkness does not overpower in John 1 verse 5. That light never could. And he's the light in John 1, verse 9, that lights every man, meaning bringing the reality, bringing in a proper reality. So for us, God has given us eternal life. He's given us this great capacity. But because it's eternal, because his love never had a beginning, who God is, and never will have an end, he, has, he gave us this eternal life, whereby now, we will fellowship with him and grow in that love for all eternity. But right now, 
right now is is we are in training school. That's where we are. We're in training right now. And everything about us and truly who we are in Christ has to do with this eternal love life embrace between the Father and the Son. And that's why Christ, when he came out, he is the light. So that you, if you, you and I look at this and we watch the flow of this in John 1 and verse 1 all the way up to verse 5, and, and the light came out. Now, John there, John the Baptist there is, is the Holy Spirit speaking through him, bringing him to this realization that he's not that light. He's not the source of it. None of us are. Christ is the light. Christ is that light in John 1, 5. And 1 John 1, 5, this is the message then. This is the message. This is, this is us. This is the message. And who is the message? It's the Logos. Who is the message? That God is light and in him is no darkness. Listen, that's our position. There's no darkness in him. And if there isn't, is there any in us if Christ is our light? This is why we need the scriptures. And this is why even with the word, even with the word that God gives all of us, in one sense, okay, it, it sometimes, it seems to be so much and be so beyond our capacity. But all that is, all that God is teaching us is this. This is what he's teaching us. And we have, he brought this, this thought out to us um, maybe last week and a few days since then. That when God loves us, he doesn't part out his love, meaning he doesn't hold back the fullness of his love for us. He doesn't. He doesn't hold it back. But we have yet to grow. And that's why Ephesians 3.19 says, to know the love of Christ that passes knowledge, meaning, meaning that God loves us intensely with this love. But we only experience it this much in our growth. We only experience it this much in our growth because we're going to grow in it for all eternity. And we see that even in the Apostle Paul. He's approximately 67 years of age. He's chained to a Roman guard in a, in a prison. In Philippians 3 and verse 10, he said, I want to know him. Now, what does it mean? So we, we, we shared recently too, and we want to get into this during the week, possibly tomorrow or whatever God would have, is, is that word science. So when we talk about the word science, what does science have to do with it? has to do with knowledge. Is there any true knowledge outside of who God is? That's why it says in Hebrews 11:6, without faith, depending on him, who is the fullness of who he is. It's unbelievable. You know, God has all this self-knowledge. Think about, I want us to think about this, that God knows who he is. Now, who knows better who God is than God himself? So God has all this self-knowledge. And he wants us to know him. But how does he want us to know him? How he knows himself. Think about that. God knows us like he knows himself. He wants us to know that. <laughs> what kind of a relationship is, 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 is best as we can? And we're all finite. and We're all growing. And, and, uh, and, and in one sense, he, 
he keeps us hungry and thirsty for the word. Like you want to know, you want to know more and more, you know, and it's, it seems like it's, uh, oh, this is so high and we, we keep reaching for it. You know, <laughs> He keeps us this way. Now that's the way it is right now in time. Because if we don't in time right now while we're on the earth, because if not, we would go right back to the flesh in a, in a heartbeat. But once we're in his presence, no more of that. No more flesh. Oh boy, I don't have to learn that way anymore. Oh, I don't want to learn that way anymore. There's two ways to learn, oh God, for any of us. And, you know, one of those ways is the flesh in Romans 8 and verse 9. Verse nine the flesh that's in us, but that we're not of. <laughs> you know, our whole life is constituted of who God is through his son by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so this is why God has given us, he's given us his son. He's given us his son. So Christ came out, and for us to understand and how we can even function in this eternal life that Christ is in us, again, this is 1 John 5.11, this is Colossians 1.27, Christ in you, the hope, the guarantee of glory. That's why Christ had to come out and put on humanity. He, for us, had to learn obedience. You see this in Hebrews 2. 10. You see this in Hebrews chapter 5, verses 7 and 8. He had to learn these things in his impeccable humanity, you see. He never had a sin nature. No. What God, God would, would not give us his son that had some kind of evil or failure in it. Never would. He had a human nature. So he had to learn. You see this? He had to learn obedience through the things that he suffered. Did he suffer as a result of sin? Was there any sin and evil in him? Was there any evil in him to be tempted? No, even when, when he was drawn of, of the Holy Spirit, led in the, into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan, in Matthew the fourth chapter and, and Luke the 11th chapter, we see very, very clearly, very clearly there, was he being tempted by evil? When the enemy, would, Satan, was tempting him? No. No, he wasn't tempted. He was learning what we would go through, what we couldn't go through apart from him. And that's why he had to put on that humanity in John 1 and verse 14. And then and in that, as the, see, he always is the Son of God by virtue of who he is in deity. There's no change in that. God cannot change who he is. But Christ, when he tabernacled himself in humanity, and this is brought out all in the types, uh, very, very beautifully brought out in the type of the mercy seat in Exodus 25, 17 to 22, brought out in, in terms of what the tabernacle, the tabernacle was in Numbers, the fourth chapter. If you looked at it on the outside, it had all the skins of an animal. Nothing really beautiful to look at. This is fulfilling in prophecy, Isaiah 53 and verse 2. There's no beauty, outward beauty in him, that we would be drawn to him. But boy, they said, we beheld him. When he, in John 1 and verse 14, he tabernacled himself in humanity, we beheld him. And we saw all the glory and truth coming out of him. So for us, he had to become 
the Son of Man. And who is he? God himself. So we go back to the Greek word arche. We go right back to it. Eternal. It's the beginnings. It's the Logos. It speaks of this eternal nature, character, and essence of God between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. This is what we see here. This is what God is bringing us out. Bringing out to us. That now Christ, as the, he is the Son of Man, now, as in, in virtue of who he is in deity, the Son of God, that's Arche, beginning. That's always been. But we had an old beginning, didn't we? In Psalm 51 and verse 5. That sin nature in Romans 5.12 that was passed on. We have this old beginning. A one which was what? In death, separated from him. But now we've been brought into a new beginning. This is why he, he became the son of man. He is the arche, the beginning, the new, a whole new race of believers. That's you and I in him. Now that's our position. But now on earth, what are we doing? We are growing experientially. Experientially in this love life. And so he's preparing us right now in time. What, what's this whole life about? What's every circumstance, situation? Remember, remember, and I remember with you how God brought that out in measure yesterday. Every situation and circumstance, and it wasn't recorded yesterday, but every single circumstance and situation for the believer, the believer's the dot, God's the circle. Once I received Christ, God encircled himself around, around me. Now that had happened in time, but was a part of the eternity of God's mind. Accepted in the beloved in Ephesians 1.6. That means this, that now from now on, every circumstance and situation, everything that we face, everything, and this is 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 15, all things are for what? Our sakes. Because we're in Christ. All things. How many? All things. 2 Corinthians 5.18, all things are of God. That's of who we are in Christ. And then all things work together for the good. This is speaking of experience now. All things work together for the good. To them that love God. Now, why do we love him? Why? Because in 1 John 4.10, here in his love, not that we loved him, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for us. Now, we love in 1 John 4.19 because he first loved us. And that's something God doesn't want us to leave in terms of complete, growing in this obedience, and this is Revelations 2 and verse 4, don't leave your first love. Don't leave constant dependence on him. You're not to leave it. And so this has to do with this love life, eternal embrace, and we are held by him. This is 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 14. For the love of Christ, it says what? Constrains us, holds us, holds us. It holds holds us like it's the Greek is like it's in a vice. The holding us there in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 14 brings out the reality of what Jesus was teaching in John 6, 37 and 39. Him that comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. There's no way. No one can tear me out in John 10, 28 and 29 of my positional reality, my proper image, my proper character in Christ. So that's why the enemy comes in and tries to affect the experience. Proper experience has to do with obedience. 
And this is what makes very important 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 4. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Mm -mm. They're mighty through God. To the pulling down of strongholds. Then we cast down all these false reasonings. These imaginations, these false reasonings. And every high thing that does what? Exalts itself against what? The knowledge of God. You see that? Science. Knowledge of God. Knowledge. Knowing. What is the knowledge of God revealed to us? Who is God? God is what? Love. <laughs> love. You see. So love. So there's love. You see that. And I see that with you. So there is love. That's our position. We are positioned in something that cannot be touched. Yeah, that's our eternal life. 1 John 5.18, the B part of the verse, the last part. The wicked one touches us not. That's eternal life. So, but he goes after the experience. This is what's so very important. This is what's so very important in these very last days. And for, for many of us, as close as we are to seeing him face to face, absent from these bodies, yay! <laughs> what does it mean to be absent from these bodies? And then present with the Lord in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 8. That means what? In Revelation 21 and verse 4. No more pain, no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, because the former things are passed away. But it doesn't mean we're not going to continue to grow in this love. Because for all eternity, in Ephesians 3 and verse 19, we're going to grow in that love. Listen, the whole Bible is this. God wants us to know himself. He wants us to know who he is. Now, when I know who he is, what do I find? Who I am and that, and that love that God is. You see, everything about God has to do with his thought about himself. And that doesn't change. My thoughts, Numbers 23 and verse 19, God is not a man. What do men do? What do we do in our experience when we don't experience his love for us? God is not a man that what? He should lie. We get into a lie. Oh, we get into a lie. Oh, this is happening because of this. I did this or I, I, I shouldn't have done that. All these things. Huh? God is not a man that he should lie. Where do all lies come from in John 8 and verse 44? That's those, that's those false reasonings in 2 Corinthians 10, 5. And everything, the high thing, the enemy, that exalts himself against the knowledge of God. What is the knowledge of God? What does that have to do with? God is love. He loves us. You see, so... In finality this morning, as far as we can go with this, and there are, there are, this is all of ours, all of ours. Like, for instance, all of this that, that's, that's just even coming out of my mouth, if I, if I even come close to the even end of that, not even close. Nope. But it's still all mine, and it's still all yours. It is. It's still all of ours, and we're going to grow in it. But he will, even in, even in times like this with the word, he will give us things that we can cling to in our growth, in our capacity. Because that's what, that's what he, and growth has to do with capacity. Listen, not, look it. When it says in 2 Peter 3 in verse 18, but grow in the grace and knowledge 
of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So growth has to do with what? There would be no growth in us. We, don't, we didn't already have capacity. Who is our capacity? Who is our life? It's Christ. And we're going to grow in him. But again, RK, the eternal is. <laughs> That's why, again, Hebrews 11, verse 6, it says, without faith, it's impossible to what? It's impossible to please him. Why, what does that mean? Because we're not experiencing the pleasure of his love for us in his son. It's impossible to please him. Because he that comes to God must believe what? That what? He is. And who is he? He's the I am. He's the, he is the arche or the archetype as the archegos in those Greek words of which we can get into as, as God would see in the future. And whatever, whatever that is. So God is, going, is making himself known. Now, we know him now, thank God, in Christ, because we've been placed in him. But even all of those that reject him, reject him, he comes to the earth. Because we know him in our heavenly position. And as far as the heavens are above the earth, so far are we in him. This is Isaiah 55, 8 to 11. No question about it. That's the height of who we are. The height of who, as far as the heavens are above the earth, Isaiah 55, 8 to 11, is Ephesians, the first chapter. Our heavenly position, as above all people groups, is the church, us. That's who we are. That, and that's who he's made us to be in the Son of His love. So then God comes back, because from, and then we come back with him. We see this in Revelation 19, chapter 11 to 16. He sets up his kingdom in Revelation 23 and verse 4. His kingdom, that thousand-year millennial reign, is what? God is making himself what? Known. He's making himself known on the earth. Millennial reign. That's why he taught the disciples' prayer. You see, the disciples' prayer, the Jewish disciples' prayer, as he's looking to the future, knowing it full well, because he knows all things in 1 John 3.20, he knows he's going to have it set up that millennial, that thousand-year millennial kingdom. He knows that. He's going to do that. But he has already set us in his son. And that's why during the millennial reign, we're going to rule and reign with him in intimacy for all eternity that won't change. Then heaven and earth become one. You see this in Revelation 21.1-3. You see that. You see it in the type in Revelations 4 and verse 3, that the rainbow, the, the first rainbow was his promise of covenant, uh, you know, to the earth. We see that in Genesis 9, uh, 12, 13, 14. Okay, but then in the throne where we see the lamb who sits in Revelations 4 and verse 3, now it's a circular or a, a, a round rainbow where heaven and earth are now made one. Where now, everyone will know him. But who will know him most intimately? And that's us. That's us. Others are going to know him, yes. But that's when heaven and earth, now we come back to the earth, and then we rule and we reign with him. Now, for the thousand years, we rule and reign with him. But does that stop? Did he not promise 
David in 2 Samuel 7, 13, 14, and 15, that there would be in a, there would be an eternal kingdom on the earth? Yes. He made that promise in Genesis 49 and verse 10. He said, the Jews, they said, till Shiloh comes to set up his kingdom. The great Arche, <laughs> the son of God putting on humanity, who was rejected here. This time of rejected, part of our suffering is, is, is now that we're in Christ, we're being rejected like he was. Because he came unto, he came into the world in John 1.10. The world didn't know him. They didn't think Jesus was any different than any other human being. They could have cared less. They were under the prince and power of the air. Ephesians 2.2, 2, like all of us were at one point. Then he came unto his own, the nation of Israel in John 1.11. They rejected him, outright rejected him. Again, their rejection was not based upon the fact that they didn't know that he was from God. They knew he was and still rejected him. But it says in 1.12 of John, first John, of John chapter 1, but separated from all that, as many as would receive him, he gave them what? Power, authority. Power and authority. You get all those Greek words, kratos, exousia, arche, all these different words that reveal power, the power that Christ is. He gave the power, the authority, the right to become the sons of God even to them that would believe on his name. Name there in John 1, 12 has to do with his person, the person of who he is, preeminent in Colossians 1, 18, far above everyone. And the work that he's accomplished, his whole life that he was doing in John 4 and verse 34, based upon the prophecy of Psalm 47 and 8 doing all of that, and then finishing it, revealing it in John 19 and verse 30, the finished work, that great Greek word, tetelestai. So we have this. So God, now what is he doing right now? As we close this morning, what is he doing right now? He's causing us to know him in our growth. Now, is there interruptions at times? Yeah, now we can confess it. In First John 1, 9. Our confession is, we're not our sin. We're not our bad feelings. We're not how someone treats us outside of Christ. We're not how we treat ourselves outside of Christ. It's not who we are. It's no longer I, in Romans 7, 17 and 20, who do it. But, but it is that sin that's in us, the flesh, in Romans 8, 9, but that we're not of. Because everything about us has to do with who God has made us to be and the son of his love. That's why it takes God, the Holy Spirit, to show us this great capacity that Christ is in each of us, that, he, that the Father has given, first in terms of propitiation, then as a substitute, that whereby we're constantly being reconciled experientially in our growth. So, Father, thank you. Thank you that we can still grab and you'll still make known these truths that are ours. We may not be able to yet receive and experience all that you have gave us this morning, and none of us can. There's not a one of us here that can fully. But we can be thankful that you can still 
you still do give us glimpses in, in, of the beauty of ex the experience of your love for us. And you love us with all of who you are. Every time you love us, you are, whether we realize it or not, and we're going to grow in it, you're loving us with who you are. With all of who you are. Because when you gave us your son, you gave us your all. And we're so thankful for that in Jesus' name. Amen.